Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. I want you to think back to when you were 16 years old. <laughs> do you remember what you wanted to do in life? Do you remember how you viewed the world? Perhaps you were convinced that you'd one day marry Harry Styles and you'd become an architect and educated in Ivy League school. Or maybe you were convinced you'd become a professional athlete and one day you'd be married to Tyra Banks or Jennifer Lopez. You couldn't decide which one. Now consider the age of 26. Maybe that's about your age. Do you, do you ever look back and think about the 16-year-old version of yourself? So young and so naive. And how do they possibly trust you with a driver's license? Isn't that shocking? Well, I want to tell you that when you get past 26 and you become 36, you still look back and have the same sort of amazement at how young and naive you were at 26. I have a, a, a picture of me at 16 and 26 as an example. See, at 16, I was into Vanilla Ice and I was all about rock and roll. There's nothing more rock and roll than a picture with your parents. <laughs> And when I was 26, I thought I was just so young and naive, but at 26, I was going through my dyed goatee phase. I spared you from the one that's dyed red and had red eyebrows. It's, it's a terrible sight. Even the 26-year-old version of me knew I should not have dyed my eyebrows. But do you know how many children's pictures, my kids' pictures, I've ruined with pictures of me with a dyed goatee? See, at 36, I looked back and couldn't believe how just... Naive I was. I, I wish I knew then what I knew at 36. And for those of you still in your 20s or 30s, I can tell you that when you get into your 40s, you look back and you still feel the same way. And I'm told that it keeps going. In fact, 10 years from now, we'll all look back and just be shocked when we look through our Instagram feed. I can't believe I was wearing that. I can't believe I was thinking that. I can't believe this is how I viewed the world. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we all have the capacity to grow, and you're never too old to change. Some of us right now, we're in this exciting season. We're growing, and we're excited about our spiritual journey. We, we know that we've made progress, but we're also very aware that we have a lot more to learn. But others of us here tonight might have hit some sort of ceiling when it comes to our spiritual growth. I think there are three reasons that might happen. Some of us don't believe that we can grow. Some of us have come to closure too soon on who God is or who he can be or what he can do in our life. We don't believe that God can do the miraculous. We become cynical and jaded because of painful moments and what seems like unanswered prayers. Second group of us that may not be growing is because we don't wanna grow. We don't want to make the changes necessary or the sacrifices, so we, we've settled for the status quo. We look back with fondness on the past, but we end up missing what God wants to do in our present and through us in the future. The third reason might be some of us 
want to grow, but we just feel stuck. What I've discovered in my own life, those were seasons and many times that I actually had thought I was more mature than I really was. See, too often we confuse progress with maturity. See, let me just say this out loud so we can all be on the same page. I don't think any of us have arrived. I think we all have room to grow. I know I do. So wherever you might be, whether you're growing or cynical about growing, settling for the status quo or feeling stuck, I want you to know that the scriptures tell us this in Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. See, the problem is some of us have stopped asking. Some of us have stopped imagining. Some of us aren't asking enough. Some of us aren't imagining enough. See, what if we're settling for good, but what God has for us is great? What if we're settling for what comes natural when what God has for us is supernatural? Now, interestingly enough, scientists have discovered how we grow. They they point out that a mindset is critical on whether we grow or not. See, when I was growing up, there was this understanding about the brain, that you have a certain number of brain cells, and as you get older, there's just fewer and fewer of them. But actually, in 1998, they discovered that's not the case, that the the brain actually has the capacity to continue to grow, that you can continue to develop new skills and continue to grow and even improve existing capabilities, that your brain has the capacity to build new cells. And unless, if nothing goes wrong with your brain, you can continue to learn until you're into your 80s or 90s. There's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And she points out the differences between a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. I'll show you just a little bit of an image that kind of summarizes the book. See if either of these sounds like you. Some of us have a fixed mindset, which makes us more fearful of being judged by others and even judged by God. So we end up playing this game of trying to put on a good face to to be more presentable so that we can be loved and valued. But unfortunately, that keeps us stuck. People with a fixed mindset believe some of the following. Failure is the limit of my abilities. I'm either good at it or I'm not. My abilities are unchanging. I stick to what I know. Feedback and criticism are personal. That's a fixed mindset. But a growth mindset is different. A growth mindset, we actually see our failures and shortcomings, but in the light of God's love. We see them as opportunities to learn and grow and keep moving towards becoming a better version of ourselves. We embrace the fact that we are imperfect people with room to grow. In fact, that may be why you've found yourself a gateway. You love the idea that no perfect people are allowed. You know that that when you're honest about your imperfections and your struggles and doubts, it creates the space to make progress. See, according to Dweck, people with a growth mindset believe things like failure is an opportunity to grow. My effort and my attitude determine my abilities. Feedback is actually constructive. I'm inspired by the success of others, and I like to try new things. This all reminds me of Martin Seligman's book, Learned optimism in which he says this, pessimistic people think of setbacks as permanent, universal, and internal. But optimistic people see setbacks as temporary, specific, and external. Now what's fascinating is if you read the scriptures, you'll see 
a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset over and over and over. 2,000 years before scientists discovered this, the Bible teaches this. And I want us to just look at two passages that show this distinctly. Now, one of the most influential people to ever have lived is a man named Paul. He was a devout Jew who became a follower of Jesus, but not before persecuting Christians. And even he was at the scene of followers of Jesus being killed because of their faith. But he had this dramatic transformation. And then he began traveling throughout the Middle East and the known world, even into what's now Europe, starting churches. I have a picture of some of his missionary journeys where you can see he traveled just remarkably far in the known world. And he would write letters to these churches and to the leaders of these churches. And these letters make up most of the New Testament. He took the words of Jesus and he applied them in the context of community. And these churches spread and they've continued to spread for 2,000 years to the point where there's even a new church called Gateway Buda, which is not pictured on this map behind me here. But here's what's beautiful is you and I can be mentored by Paul when we read these letters and we apply them to our life, which is why reading the scriptures is really important. I encourage you, start in the New Testament. It's critical to growing spiritually. Followers of Jesus have been reading these letters and applying them to their lives for the last 2,000 years. And what we discover is that Paul traveled with other people and he was mentoring them and then he would leave them in some of these cities and go to the next. And one of these situations, Paul left Titus in Crete. You can actually see it on the map if you want to go back to that. It's the island in the middle, just south of Greece. Now, Titus's goal, there it is. Titus's goal was described in Titus chapter one. Listen to this. Paul writes the following. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Paul goes on to describe elders as spiritual overseers, people who have integrity. They aren't corrupt or given to stealing or drunkenness. They're slow to anger. They demonstrate self-control, trustworthiness, hospitality. They're faithful to their spouse, and they know and live out the truths found in scriptures. In essence, they're spiritually mature. And Paul points out to Titus that he realizes this is a very difficult task because he's left him in Crete. There weren't a lot of people in Crete that matched that description. You see, the people of Crete had a fixed mindset. Look at this in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. This is what they thought about themselves. This wasn't written by an enemy. They took pride in the fact, we're all liars. Welcome to Crete. We're all evil brutes. Be warned, right? We're all lazy gluttons. Protect your food, right? They're just this group of people that were just fine with who they were. They believed there was no possibility of changing. We're Cretans. There's no hope for us. If you don't like the way we are, just go to another island, right? In fact, even to this day, to be referred to as a Cretan is not a compliment. Can you imagine? Titus is left there, surrounded by Cretans, and his job is to turn these evil, lazy, gluttonous brutes into spiritual leaders. That's his goal. We see in the scriptures right here, people being invited to come as they are 
but they were encouraged not to stay that way. His job was to try to help them move from this fixed mindset to a growth mindset, to see the possibilities that they could change. Now, here's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. I, I think it's just one of the funniest. The continuation of that phrase, Paul writes, one of Cretans' own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul inserts this moment of honesty. He says, and this saying is true. <laughs> I've met Cretans. They're not a good group. I can't help but think, as you read the rest of the letter, Paul actually had hope for them. He actually described how to help move Cretans to become likable spiritual leaders. So I can't help but think that he was joking, that he had more hope for them than they had for themselves. So then what is the process that Paul and his mentees use to help people who are so broken and jaded become spiritually mature? I mean, think about this. They were going into all sorts of crazy places with very broken people who had no understanding of a loving and just God or even believed in lots and lots and lots of gods. So what was this process? Well, the process was relational. They started churches. Now, the early church met together in large gatherings and in homes, just like we do. Paul describes all of these in this statement in Acts. Acts 20. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. What's beautiful about this passage is it includes all four of the weeks of our series, Envision a New You. In week one, we talked about becoming a more accepting person. Paul, this very strict Jew, the strictest form of Judaism, who was taught not to spend time with anyone who was considered unclean, actually was now accepting Greeks, or in other places in the scriptures you see it referred to as Gentiles. Suddenly he created a community which everyone was welcome. Last week we talked about serving, and he describes how he served with humility. This week we're talking about growing, and he talks about helping people grow as they came together in large groups and in homes. And next week, we'll talk about impacting. And you see that in this passage where he's helping people find faith. I want you to consider, what if all of us became more accepting people? We were known by our love as we demonstrate that love through serving. We're intentional about growing. We're prayerful and intentional about impacting. If all of us began to live out these four core values it would bring transformation, not only to us, but to people we love, the people with whom we work, the people with whom we live, our friends. See, transformation is relational. You cannot grow without others in your life. You cannot reach your full potential on your own. We need people to love us and encourage us, to rebuke us and challenge us and be with us on this journey. We need to community to become all who God has created us to be. We need to surround ourselves with other people who have a growth mindset that we might learn how to have one ourselves. Maybe you heard this as a kid growing up. Have you ever heard this? 
We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Have you ever heard of that? It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? <laughs> Who have I been spending time with? You know, you're checking your calendar right now, right? I once uh, saw someone online kind of referring to this idea, saying, since we become more like the people we are spending time with, I'm looking to befriend a millionaire. <laughs> it's like a want ad, right? So I want to ask you, with whom are you spending the most time? Are you spending time with people that live in a way that you aspire to live? Or if you're further along in your spiritual journey, are you inviting other people who need a little bit of help and encouragement to live life with you so that they can explore faith or grow in their new faith? Years ago, our grow team here at Gateway used this passage from Titus along with others describing spiritually mature people to create our life group model. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have been in a life group here at Gateway where you've worked through spiritual outcomes? Anyone? Just raise your hand. Oh, wow. Several of us. Well, this is a, a way of studying the Bible that's more thematic. It's more of a systematic approach at looking at the scriptures. And these outcomes are designed to help us become spiritually mature. These outcomes are Bible studies dealing with loving God and loving people and, and building up our character and being the body of Christ. And if we can grow in these areas, we will become more like the person that God has created us to be. Just this week, I got an email from a woman in my life group saying, I have years and years of Bible study behind me. I want you to know that I really love this study. See, life groups that have been together for a while, they move into the season of spending time together in the scriptures. Now, you need to know, you don't have to have all the Bible answers. You, you can be a complete novice and still have lots of questions to be part of a life group. But as you've heard us talk about, we have a new type of group called community groups. These are designed just to create the space for you to have new friends. It gives you the chance to increase the average of the people with whom you spend time. If you're looking for friendship, people who may be a half step ahead of you on the spiritual journey, then jump into a community group. And you need to know all of our groups are about sharing life together having meaningful conversations and exploring what it means to follow Jesus. And this is the season to jump into groups. And you've heard us describe them. There's so many different ways to jump in and take advantage of this opportunity. We are made for relationship, both with God and others. Authentic community is essential to developing personally and spiritually. The goal is not information. The goal is transformation. So be proactive. How many of you want 2020 to be just like 2019? Not one person, right? If you want it to be different, then do something different. Recalibrate your life to make community a priority. I have to tell you that I've been transformed in the context of community. The conversations, the insights discovered, the friends who listened to me, prayed with me, shared with me, corrected me, encouraged me. I feel like here at Gateway, whether it was a life group or in a recovery group, I feel like God has helped me connect for the first time my head and my heart in a way I never thought was possible. You see, for a long time, I had a fixed mindset. My last name, Bryant, means noble, strong, and virtuous. Sounds really cool. The problem is, I used to believe that all Bryants in my family are controlling, short-tempered, anxious, and cheap. 
Now, I've seen glimpses of Bryant's being empowering and calm and peaceful and generous. Of course, they're all the people that married into our family. I'm just kidding. I've seen some of us, and I've seen even moments myself where I was no longer trapped being a controlling, angry, and anxious tightwad, but becoming more the person that God designed me to be. See, it's important for you to realize that you are not defined by your family of origin. You are not limited by your last name. Have you ever considered that God loves your family so much that he put you in that family, that you might find a relationship with him and healing from him so that you can bring that healing to everyone older than you and everyone coming after you? What you need to understand today is that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And God's love for you is what should inspire you and motivate you to move forward, to become the person that God created you to be. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, they need you to become the person God created you to be. Later in the letter to Titus, Paul gives more insight into what should be happening in this community in Crete that can help us in our community here in Austin, which by the way, the New Testament, most of it was written to churches. You see, following Jesus is not intended to be just between you and God. You are meant for community, a community that helps you live God's way rather than get sucked into the destructive ways of the world. And that was what was happening in Crete. And so not only did Paul and Titus start a church, but they they created a place where they gathered in large gatherings and they gathered together in homes and it was safe places where they could have hard and meaningful and honest conversations. When you read the scriptures, you might see the word rebuke. That's all through the letter to Titus. See, they needed to be reminded that's not who you are now that you follow Jesus. There was this other important passage that was designed to help the Cretans grow and even overcome their destructive habits and pursuits. Paul writes these words, Titus chapter two. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, God's part in helping us become the person we were created to be is his grace. It's his love lavished on us, even though we did not deserve it. But our part, and he even helps us with this, is gratitude should compel us to do the good things that we were called to do. Are you a grateful person? Do you reflect on the great things that God has given us? Something that really challenged me, really corrected me, rebuked me even. When I was in Los Angeles working at Mosaic, our senior pastor, Erwin McManus, would say these words. We need to be Grateful, which means being thankful for what we have and not mad about what we don't have. See, some of us have a long list of the ways that God has failed us, the things that we do not yet have. 
But what we need to do is emphasize and, and write out a longer list of all the things that we do have. He's given us so much. He's done so much for us. And out of gratitude, we begin to do the things that he's called us to do, to passionately serve him and serve others. Now, some of us grew up in a religious context, which inadvertently or maybe intentionally may have taught us this false idea that we need to do good things to get God to love us. Or maybe that's how we viewed our parents. And so that's how we view God. But the God in the scriptures actually is a God of grace who loves us. And because of that love, we are inspired and compelled to do good. It's out of gratitude. See, we need to shift our understanding of God and the church. You see, this is not about religion. This is about a relationship with God, a relationship with others. Cultural Christianity and American religiosity is more of a fixed mindset about God, our Heavenly Father, which has more of this view. I messed up. My father is gonna kill me. Whereas a genuine faith in Jesus and having a relationship with God is more of a growth mindset, which says this, I messed up. I need to call my dad. How, how do you view God? Do you view him as angry and ready to, to judge you? Or do you see him as the one who's been with you even when things were at their worst? Being in community helps us. People become reminders of what's true so that we don't slip back into a religious mindset which is a fixed mindset. Getting into a smaller community where we can be honest about our struggles and authentic about our doubts is a healthy place to be. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I wanted to look at one other passage just real quickly. It's in Hebrews that shows this switch between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. The writer of Hebrews was a pastor and he's writing, in essence, this is really a sermon. And in that sermon, he's writing to these Hebrew Christians that were being persecuted and were falling away from their faith. And he was reminding them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. The ultimate sacrifice, dying on the cross for all of humanity so that we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore for forgiveness. He's the ultimate priest, ultimate prophet, ultimate king. He's greater than Moses, greater than the angels. He is the promised Messiah. And then notice this word of encouragement in chapter 10. He writes, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Did you hear that? Are you a part of community that's motivating each other towards becoming who God created you to be? Are you neglecting to meet together, as some people do? We shouldn't neglect coming on Sundays. We shouldn't neglect being in each other's homes. This is what followers of Jesus have done since Jesus was here. And I want to tell you that it can be really tempting, right? If, you, if you've ever been sick and you watch online, it, man, it's so nice and cozy in bed watching, you know, the message. And, and I want to encourage you, 
as soon as you're not contagious, come back. Because you cannot experience all that God has for you watching from home, watching on a screen. It's hard to live out the rest of this passage without interacting with others. We need others to be able to motivate us and to motivate them, to spur each other on. Years ago, I had a friend in Los Angeles who was feeling really discouraged and disconnected from our community. And so I had this conversation. I just asked him, well, when's the last time that you served? And he said, well, it's been several months. And I said, well, when's the last time you've been to your small group? And he said, well, it's been several weeks. And I said, when was the last time you came on a Sunday? And he said, well, it's been about a month, but I've been listening to the podcast. And I had this great insight. I just looked him right in the eye and I said, you know what? I just realized the reason you feel disconnected is because you disconnected. See, the reason you feel discouraged is because you left all the people who were there to encourage you. And I want you to know that when we create distance between ourselves and others, it creates distance between ourselves and God as well. You know, we live isolated and lonely lives by default. This week, one of our life group leaders sent me an article in NPR that said three out of five Americans are lonely. In 2018, a Cygnus study showed that 47% of Americans said on a daily basis they did not have a meaningful conversation with one person. The emerging generation, Generation Z, apparently is the loneliest of all generations, perhaps because of all the time spent looking at people through a screen rather than being with people. The Search for the Common Good by Jake Meter states that between 1940 and 2010, our population grew by 134%. But mental health professionals grew at the rate of 3,206%. We've outsourced the work of everyday caring. The only person that we can find to listen to us, we have to pay to do so. Now, I'm an advocate for counseling. My family has been to a counselor multiple times in our marriage and with our kids. And, but I want you to know that's just the beginning. That shouldn't be the only connection that you have with another person. See, we've replaced meaningful conversations with screen times. We've replaced genuine friends with Facebook friends who we don't really know, but we do know what they ate yesterday, right? <laughs> so ask yourself, who is spurring you on in your life right now? Who are you listening to? Who are you letting speak into your life? And who are you spurring on? See, it was really important to the author of Hebrews that, that they would not stop meeting together because that was the first step towards walking away from their faith. And he goes on to say this moment, this growth to fixed mindset moment. He says this, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Did you catch that? The switch from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? You may think of yourself as a quitter, someone who shrinks back and gives up. But with God's help, you're not a quitter. That's not who you are. Jesus has actually changed your identity. 
See, the moment you say yes to following Jesus, when you ask him to forgive you and to, to lead you, he makes you a new person. And the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes to live within you and guide you. You are not the same person. See, but when we shrink back, we're creating distance between ourselves and God. But that is not who we are. God is not pleased with those who shrink back, but we are not those who shrink back. See, too often we forget who we are. And unfortunately, we do this all the time, slipping back into old patterns. It, it reminds me of one of my favorite moments in a movie. It's a classic movie. It's called Hook, in which Peter Pan grew up and forgot his true identity. I, I want to show you this clip, one of my favorite moments from the film. Let's watch. We all need someone who looks at us and reminds us who we really are. Because the world and our past and our wounds will tell us who we don't have to be. So it's 2020. Can you envision a new you? Can you see it? See, if you're intentional about your relationship with God and your relationship with others in this church family, you will experience transformation. It will require sacrifice, but it will be worth it. Maybe take one night off from Netflix to join a group. Maybe take one morning off from social media to serve in a network. In fact, I want to encourage you to, to come back next Sunday for the conclusion of this series and the Sunday after that for a new series we're doing called Conversations, where we're looking at these moments when Jesus interacted with people and all that we can learn from those moments for our own relationships. And when you come on Sundays, I want you to try something. Every Sunday you come, I want you to pray this prayer. God, what do you have for me? And what do you want from me? Just pray this with an open mind and you'll be amazed at what God has for you and what he might ask from you. And when we step into those moments, we experience a glimpse of what Jesus said. When you serve me, when you serve others, 
and lose your life doing so, that's when you find your life. See, add to your life others in homes. And every time you go to a group, just pray, God, what do you want from me? And what do you have for me? So we all have a next step. I want to encourage you to take whatever your next step is today. Being intentional this year will lead to a new version of you.